0: Hello everyone, I'm Steph, I'm one of the pastors here and um, we are uh, currently in the midst of what was going to be a five-week series but is now going to be a four-week series um, on what we call running partners, which if you, is a, a term probably you may not be familiar with in terms of from a Christian perspective if you're not part of the church here. It's just a name we give to... Um, to the idea of s- smaller groups of believers of Christians coming together twos and threes, fours, maybe fives to help one another, um, pray with one another, um, help one another grow in the faith um, and that 's part of how we set up our church life is that we have gosp- we have Sundays um, and then we have gospel communities, which would be communities of I guess normally between sort of ten and twenty people, and then we break down into smaller groups called running partners, where we can really get into talking about. The, the things that are going on in our lives and really strengthen and help one another um, from an upwards perspective, inwards and outwards, thinking about those who don't yet know Jesus and just look, looking to work real good gospel truth into our lives together. Um, so that's what this series is about, because we need a lot of help to kind of learn how to do it well. Um, because there are certain things perhaps in our Christian culture, but also just in, 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 in the part of the world that we live in that kind of work against doing it well. I've said a few things like we live in a colder part of the world, which means people, people just are more isolated um, in the way they live their life. You're used to just rushing from A to B, getting, getting home, getting warm. Um, and so there's less milling around culturally as a result. Uh, Also, we're not a religious culture, we're generally a secular culture, so to to build in regular frequent times of spiritual activity like prayer, um, Bible meditation, etc., is a little bit counter-cultural and is, is not part of what we do, unlike certain countries in the world where there's the hour of prayer. Or the time of prayer, however many times a day, it's just part of normal life. So there are certain challenges. And so we're just saying, look, those of us here that are believers, we know that every Sunday there are those here that are just looking in. But those of us here that are believers, we want to learn how to follow Jesus well, right? We really want to learn how to be true, faithful disciples to him. And so just quickly, some of the things we looked at over the last couple of weeks is that um, we are made for community as God himself is community, Father, Son and Spirit. We are made for community. We are not made to live in isolation. Isolation is a curse. And Jesus bore our curse on the cross. Jesus was totally isolated, rejected outside of the city, and he bore that so that we can walk out of that as we are united um, with him. It doesn't just bring comfort to be in community, it brings synergy. Jesus says that where two or three of you are gathered, I'm there with you. So obviously we know that as a believer, he lives inside of us by his spirit. So when we're alone, he's with us. But so when he says when two or three of you gather, I'm there with you. He's just saying that when two temples come together or more, something happens. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a grace to, to take ground forward. So there's a spiritual dynamic going on there. Um, we looked at how fellowship is different from friendship that with running partners, you're not looking to find friends. They may become your friends great, but don't look around thinking, who, who can I be with? Who's my friends? We're looking to do fellowship. It's different. They're different things. And not to get hung up on trying to find your best friend before you start meeting with someone to pray, but to just say, no, we can do fellowship together. And we looked at um, all these sermons are on video and you can find them on the website if you want to find out more about what fellowship involves. It was really important stuff we looked at. There. We looked at one week at expectations. That what's the purpose of our gathering? When we gather like this, we want to win the prize. We're helping one another in our Christian race to do, to do the best that we can. You know, obviously all by the power of God's grace, but to run the race with perseverance. And to win the prize, that's totally appropriate. Um, we looked at um, that how important it is to meet regularly and frequently. Looked at some scriptures about that. Looked at how the, how our tone should be with one another. That we should be warm and relational with one another. That we should be gentle and tender with one another. That we should be intentional and focused with one another. Because that's how God has treated us in Christ. He's come to us warmly and to instigate relationship with us through the cross, hasn't he? He's brought us into His family. He could have crushed us. He could have destroyed us. Instead, he's gently wooed us with his love. But then he's, he's, he, as he's come into our lives, he's come with intent and focus to restore his image in us. There's a real intent in his heart. And so it's important that we reflect the gospel when we're in our dealings with each other. So we've been looking at these things. Um, today, um, uh, we're going to help you perhaps deal with some of the elements of the heart of how we help each other. On the final one, it will be the you know I'll look at the different elements: prayer, Bible reading, missional focus, just really practical stuff. This we're gonna. This needs to be said first. Um, we're gonna, I want to help you understand how how can we actually help one another to grow in Christ. Um, I don't want to take it for granted, but really look at how we can, how we can really help to. Encourage one another to find grace. That's how you grow. You grow by the grace of God. Okay, but, but, but finding grace from God is not a passive thing. And that's where people often go wrong. They think because grace is kind of undeserved favor from God, that it kind of involves a passivity. No, 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 no. God gives us means of grace. God gives us ways that we can access his free grace into our lives. If we avail ourselves of those things, it's, it's, like, it's like imagine grace is like this big lake. And it's just, just, you know, it's just God's abundant provision of refreshment and life for you in Jesus. But get to the lake. <laughs> you haven't got to pay. It's a free lake, but get to the lake. You've got to get to the lake. you got to, as a, as a believer, God is saying, you know, I've given you my Bible. It's it's, it's truth that will, Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. Wow, that's the grace of God. But open it and read it. God says, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. So it's just, it's it's just gifts. It's father, son. You want a, bread? I'm not going to give you a stone. It's all grace. But it's like, ask, seek, find. It's not passive. So just trying to help each other with how we help each other get strong in the gospel together. See, the Bible says that all of our problems are fundamentally worship problems. If you were to define a human being biblically, you'd say they're a worshiper more than anything else. And so one of the um, tools that we use pastorally, a book called Redemption, it describes our lives like a hose that's turned on, and it's the hose of worship. And it's not, the issue isn't, are you going to worship? The issue is, where is the hose aimed? What are you worshiping? Everyone is constantly worshiping. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that they that they that they you've got to have a broad view of worship. Biblically, worship's a lot more than singing songs. It's about devotion, it's about your passion, it's about the thing that you trust most, the thing that you wonder at most, the thing that you long for most. That's worship. And so we're all of us like hoses constantly turned on. So the issue isn't are you worshiping, but what where is the hose? What is the hose aimed on? What where, what whom are you worshiping? And, and the main heart of our problem is that we put our, our worship hose onto created things. That there's a deep unbelief in us that God can satisfy our soul. That God can really bring meaning, peace, whatever it is we need. And so we tend often functionally to look to other things. We turn our hose onto this or onto that. So all of our problems are fundamentally worship problems. There's 101 other philosophies about what's wrong With humanity, but the Bible's perspective is totally unique. Um, It's and and the Bible says this in Colossians one, verse sixteen. This is an extraordinarily powerful uh, scripture that um, it's kind of one of those ones you can meditate on for life, and you'll still be getting uh, good juice out of it. It says, talking about Jesus, by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and listen and for him. That's the key. So you weren't just made by and through Jesus, you were made for Jesus, which means that only in him can you find what you were made for. Only in him can your soul be truly satisfied. He's the only object of worship that the closer you get to becomes more amazing. All the other things we worship, the closer you get, you suddenly dawns on you: Oh my goodness, this is not going to do it. Whether that's a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, a wife, a friend, a celebrity, a hobby, a cause, the closer you get to it, you realise it's not ultimate. It's a frightening place to get to. Jesus wants to rescue us from that by by drawing us to Himself, and um, and so this is this is a really huge thing that we need to um that we need to learn to get to the heart level as we help each other we get to the heart level of are we going for Jesus are we enjoying Jesus are we delighting in Jesus these are these are trust me these are the big questions if I'm not delighting in Jesus my heart will look elsewhere because I need to delight in something here's one this is a really good quote I read this if you don't stop regularly to take in beauty you will be taken out by beauty if you do not stop regularly taking appropriate beauty, which is ultimately the beauty of Christ, but then the beauty of His creation, but in a way that glorifies and honors Him, if you don't stop and regularly do that, you will be taken out by beauty. Some other beauty will grab your heart and you'll, and take you off somewhere. See, this is this is the deep stuff that we've got to learn to help one another with. Now, before you get overwhelmed and think, oh, "I can't," I'm I'm just a normal Christian. How can I help someone do that? Let me give you another illustration. Back in the day before, um, machine, before technology was so advanced, people that worked in banks, the way they taught them how to spot a counterfeit note was not by showing them counterfeit notes. They just kept giving them real notes and, uh, and hour by hour, day in, day out, week by week, they became so familiar with the genuine, they could spot a counterfeit. It's just, it, this isn't that. I'm used to this. And so, really, the more we get into biblical truth, gospel, Jesus Christ, the tr- the real deal, the Jesus of Nazareth as revealed in Scripture, the more we become familiar-, familiar with Him and let His Spirit work in us and shape us around to think how He thinks. We'll spot in our lives and in one another's lives when we're starting to uh, and starting to go off in a strange direction. And by God's grace, we'll gently and graciously and wisely learn how to help one another, and just say, I, I just wonder if you're, if you're thinking straight there. I wonder what's influencing your perspective on that. So we're going to look at, um, particularly um, today, we're going to look at perhaps the two most difficult things to do with the gospel to try to help you with those things. Okay, so the things that may be the biggest challenge I really want to help you with so that we can learn um, to do it well, because I, I really do believe it is God's desire to create a people of depth not people that, not, not superficial people, and the more a society or a culture or a nation moves away from scriptural truth, the more superficial and shallow it becomes. Just all you 've got to do is track track television in the last twenty years, and you 'll see what i 'm saying. I <laughs> just listen to random conversations we live in a really desperately sadly shallow nation now i mean it 's really really worrying, but it 's just part of the trajectory you move away from. How's it described, how does God describe himself in, um, in Jeremiah? The fountain of um, living water. And you've, you've, you've turned away from that. And you've, you've, you've turned to cisterns that are broken and that can't hold anything. And, um, and so God wants the people that are different from that. So the, here's the two things we're going to do. Well, here's the first one. It is helping us grapple with um, the reality of the devil. Okay, So if you've got a Bible with you, please turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll give you a little bit of context and then I'll read you the verse. So the context in this, you're turning to 2 Corinthians 1 while I'm talking, is... The context is, is that in the church in Corinth, there's been someone who's been really got into some really kind of, not just serious sin, but really brazen, kind of boasting about it. And in in the letter before, Paul's had to speak some really strong words and say, you've got to deal with this guy. If you let him carry on in the church like that, you know what, it's going to be like a bit of yeast and a loaf. The whole church is going to be affected. You've got to to deal with this situation. So they do deal with it. And now Paul's writing to say, it's great that 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 you've dealt with this well, but now what you really need to do is make sure that the man is restored that there's forgiveness that he's really sure about your love for him that you're really really working hard on that um that because and then he says this in verse 11 he says so that we would not be outwitted by satan for we are not ignorant of his designs now it's very interesting because i think sometimes the reason why people um kind of um how can i put it sort of uh, shy away from the subject of spiritual warfare because sometimes the way people talk about it it's only like really freaky weird stuff or people that are considered freaky weird talk about it all the time and so people are like I don't want, it. I don't want to go there I don't want to do that but actually if you just read the New Testament what you realise is this is that there's an unseen reality that, but Paul says the unseen things are eternal so in some sense is, 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 is more real than the seen and that exists parallel to the, to the seen realm and it is every bit as real as what is seen and every bit as connected to our seen, experienced reality day by day. So yes, there are most likely numbers of angelic spirit beings in this room now. Now, in some parts of the world, that's really normal to get your head around. There would be much more familiar with unseen realities. In this part of the world, that tends to get people a little bit like, a bit funny, you know, hairs go, hairs go up on the arms and stuff, because we're like we're not used to it, you know. A biblical world really helps us realise is, is that there's not this great, chasm between the unseen and the seen okay it's very much parallel at the same time coexisting. now paul is saying here the way that you are relating together in terms of forgiveness reconciliation reassuring one another of your love for one another if you don't do that you are giving satan a away in we've got to really work hard on this because if we don't guess what it's a there's a little little room all, all he needs is an inch of bitterness of resentment of this or that and he gets him and he says we're not ignorant of how he works now, the Lord doesn't want us to be ignorant, does he? He doesn't want us to be obsessed with that, but he does want us to give attention to that and make that part of how we help one another. Outwitted equals ignorant. Oh Ignorant equals we'll be outwitted. Now, I would suggest this. Much wrong behavior in our life, much wrong behavior comes from wrong belief. We believe something, an idea, a thought, we take it on as true and then we act out of it, but it's not true. So the action itself is not the big issue. What What's happened is we've been on an internal journey before in the, our spirit and in our mind where we have agreed to some idea, some message that's not true. It's, God, it's not God's truth. It's, I'll give you some examples in a minute. And then we, fight, we act out of it. So for example, imagine if I'm under real pressure in life and, um, and the thought comes into my head that Jesus cannot bring peace to me in this. And it won't be like... It won't be like lights in the sky. It's just a. It's like bang. It's just a split second. But that's the that's the that's the message that comes in. Jesus Jesus can't bring pressure. Can't can't bring peace in the middle of this. If I believe that, I'm going to start looking elsewhere. Why? Because I need peace right now. I'm going to go to porn, or I'm going to go to eating too much, or I'm going to go to some other kind of escapism. Why? Because I need peace now, and Jesus can't bring it. I've believed something, and it's led to a certain action. That's spiritual warfare. That's how Satan works. Via your mind, he will just put something into your spirit. And if you're not discerning, and if you're not, if you're not in a safe place with other believers and talking about the things that are going on in your mind and in your head, if you've not got a place where you can talk about this is what's going on inside here. If you don't have that place in your life, you're just vulnerable. I'm not trying to create alarm. I'm just saying, actually, it's really serious. Because things can just grow in your mind, and suddenly you think, how did I get here? You ever had that experience. You think, how did I get here in a day, in an hour, in a month? I was there, now I'm here, because I've just not had the courage or the nerve or I've not been secure enough in the grace of God or the love of God to just say to someone, this is what's going on inside. And it grows and it builds, and before I know it, I'm acting out of it. It's just the reality of warfare. So in our running partners, it's really important that we're not just, it's not just behaviorism. It's not just trying to modify our behaviour so we so our actions look okay. It's like, what's going on? What's going on in your heart? I know that thing happened. How are you doing there? Have you struggled with bitterness there? Are you doing all right in terms of forgiveness? Talking about these things. That shouldn't be like. That shouldn't be seen as dramatic or extreme. That's just the stuff of life. That's how we help each other, isn't it? But there's another scripture. If you look in the same book, but at two Corinthians, but chapter eleven. And verse 14, Paul says, again, he's talking about people that can come and be a bit deceptive. And he says, no wonder, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Now, the word angel means messenger. That's what it means. So a messenger. So Satan disguises himself as a messenger of light or a messenger from God. So Satan will, one of his strategies is he'll throw in an idea that sounds really Christian, really spiritual. But it's really not. You can see it in in when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Just after Jesus was baptized and before he started his public ministry, he spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting and seeking God. And Satan came to him at the end of those 40 days and tries to tempt him and even uses scripture, quotes scripture, but it's just distorted or it's out of context or it's it's to get him to to act out of mistrust, out of unbelief. And so the the point is, brothers and sisters, we need brothers and sisters around us that are going to just Gently, kindly, graciously ask the questions that are going to be willing to operate on a beyond the surface level. They're going to say, how's your thought life? How are you getting on? I mean, in the booklet we're producing for this, I've written some questions that we can ask each other in, around this subject that should be, that should be helpful. But uh, it's, it's really important. Here's another, here's another way. Here's another example, illustration of where it can go wrong. You can just buy this idea, right? It just comes in like that. Bang. Jesus can't use me in his kingdom. Right, just it's a really simple thought. I come to church, and everyone seems so together, or so happy, or so whatever. And I think, bang, there it goes. It's a simple, No one noticed. No red forks. No creatures with tails. And yeah, right. Just there it is. Bang. Now, I believe that you're going to see certain things manifest when, when when it comes around. You know, just serving Jesus. You'll see apathy or unreliability. Or, oh, no, sorry, I just haven't got capacity. But that's not really what's going on. What's going on is much, something much deeper. Do you know what? You can't use me. Do you see how these things work? But they manifest in different ways. It can look like this or it can look like that. But it's, and so we've got to be able to say, have brothers and sisters that we trust, and we can say, look, this has been going around and around my head. What do you think? And in doing so, we bring it out into the light. And suddenly someone can say, do you know what? I think maybe that's really... Not in line with what Jesus would say, and here's why. And suddenly it's like, and you think, oh, how did I? Get? It's like a spell. How did I get into that? So it's spiritual realities, and we've got to help to learn, each other, learn to help each other um, with that. Is that am, I, am I making sense? Okay. Um, where else are we? Satan will try to, help, try to make you interpret certain interactions and situations in a certain way. So someone's had a bit of a hard day, maybe they, had a, maybe they didn't sleep well that night. You bump into them at church and, hey, how are you doing? Oh, fine, but they don't seem very interested. They walk off. They don't like you. No, they had a really bad night. But you see what I'm saying? So, yeah, you, That's the situation. That's what happened. But it can be interpreted 101 ways. And the, this is the reality of what can grow in people's heads and hearts. If we're not just in good fellowship, in time with God, and just allowing him to mature us over time. It might sound a bit paranoid, you know, and I'm probably using some extreme examples, but we are fragile. We are fragile people. And we, we can read things wrong. And that's some, not always the devil, you know. But I tell you, Satan can take advantage of that and create a, real, a really powerful storyline. And suddenly you've left the church. Everyone's like, why? I don't fit here. A few a couple of things happened and the storyline was built up around it. So we've got to help each other be on guard and say, hey, how are you doing here? And then obviously the, the hard thing is, well, we that would be the second point. <laughs> this is the, that's the first point, so helping each other with warfare. The second point um, is, oh, you know, for, finally on this one, one, one more thing, sorry. I know it's a bit jumbled, but hopefully the content's good. Right, so that warfare is a corporate activity. So when Paul talks about the shield of faith in Romans 6, if you look at how the Romans used their shields, many of you will know from your history lessons at school, that they would kind of, it was almost like a tortoise shell idea, that, sh- that someone put a shield up there and they'd be like in this square, and the ones in the middle put the shield on top, and they would march toward where they were going, and all the flaming arrows were bouncing off, because they were totally surrounded. But this wasn't one person with a shield running at a castle, that's a very exposed person. So don't try and get into warfare on your own. You're not supposed to. It's a corporate thing that we have to protect each other with and we all put our shields up at the same that don't get you know don't interpret the shield of faith in that way i'm still here i'm still standing that's not the picture but because we're in a part of the world that thinks individually that's immediately where we go no 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 we're still here we're still standing i'm so glad someone has got my back i'm so like this one here has got the shield up there we're still here does that make sense that's the picture so it's important that we understand the, the second thing is just, so that's the first thing, warfare. The second thing is just handling the reality of the fact that as Christians, we still have sin. So if you turn to 1 John 1, verse 8. Now this is different from being a sinner in the, in the biblical sense. Typically in the Bible, a sinner is someone who sins by habit, by default, is primarily who they are. The Bible says when we come to Christ, he doesn't just forgive us, but he actually makes us into a brand new person. So we're no longer a sinner, but we're a a saint. So in the New Testament, the vast, vast, vast majority of the time Christians are spoken about, it's as saints. Um, There's only one quote where Paul talks about him um, being the chief of sinners, but maybe he's talking about even before he was saved there. So it's, it's you to understand yourself as a saint. And yet, 1 John 1 verse 8 says this, uh, if anyone, if we say we have no sin, he's writing to believers, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay, So even though I'm no longer under the rule of sin, I'm brand new, I'm a saint, I still have sin. Now let me explain about sin because I think it's something we often misunderstand. Sin is more than a transgression. A transgression is when you disobey a command, disobey a command of God, say, disobey one of the commandments. That's a transgression. So Adam and Eve in the garden, don't eat from that tree. They ate from that tree. It was a transgression. Now, transgression comes under the umbrella of sin, but sin's a lot bigger than that. Sin's a lot wider than that. Sin brings with it the idea that we've, we've fallen from, we've missed the mark, and as a result, we've fallen from what we were created for. We were created as image bearers of God. Through sin, we fell from that. And every, everyone, every part of our faculty was influenced, infected, if you like, by the power of sin. Now, when we come to Christ, we are kind of rescued out of the rule and reign of sin. So we no longer have to, have to sort of jump whenever sin says jump. Praise God. We're free from the power. We're under grace now. Okay? So we will not be ruled by sin. Why? Because we are under grace now and we've been set free from that power. So sin can say jump, but I haven't got to do it. Okay, I haven't got to. okay, I haven't got to anymore. Praise the Lord. That's the gospel. However, I still have sin. Which what does it mean? Well, it means that my view is still I still don't see things exactly as God does. Still a bit distorted. I'm being changed from one degree of glory into another. But I'm never going to be fully glorified until I'm with the Lord. So my outlook on life, on myself, on others, on God will always need help and adjustment. This is really important. A lot of the time when people fall out, the reason why they can't be reconciled is because they insist their perspective is 100% right. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. You see marriages fall apart, friendships fall apart, families fall apart because no one's willing to give any room. We hear things strangely. We see things strangely. We get it wrong. Why? Because we have sin. It distorts the way we see things. And so, it's, and so that's why humility as a Christian is so important, where you have to come into something and say, do you know what, this is how I saw it, but I could have read it wrong. This is how I heard it, but do you know what, I may not have got it right. And as long as you're always defending your corner, nothing good's going to come. It's so important. We've got to help each other because we're all struggling with the same disease. <laughs> okay, so we've really got to help each other. And so just to say a few things... Um, on this. Um, in Hebrews 3 verse 13, you think, well, how, how are we going to be how are we going to be kept from being deceived by sin if we if it's still distorted? Well, the writer to the Hebrews says this, he says, Exalt one another every day, as long as it's called cool today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So one another. One another. The most paranoid people you meet are the most isolated people you meet. Am I right? Because they've been allowed for things to fester and grow out of a distortion and there's been no one in their life who's been able to gently, graciously, kindly check it. No one's been able to say, I'm not sure if that's what was said. (laughs) I'm not sure. I don't think that's what they meant. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not how it happened. We need people like that in our lives. It's essential. Proverbs 18 verse 1, one of the most frightening verses in the Bible. He who isolates himself seeks his own desire and breaks out against all sound judgment. Wow, that's the word of God. That's the word of God. That's not my opinion. It's really, really important. Now, we can approach sin in two wrong ways. Number one, we can approach it moralistically. Who? I'm not going to confess my sin to someone who approaches it moralistically. No way. Someone, you must do better. <laughs> Please don't, no I'm not going to trust my heart to you You can approach it The other wrong direction is where you just blame everything on the environment If only the systems were better and your upbringing had been better You would never have done this Naive Totally naive Sin is an internal problem Circumstances provoke it It's like the glass that's full of water That's me Circumstances are like the flick but what comes out was what was already in there. So if, I, if, if when I get pressured, bitterness or anger comes out, that didn't cause it, that's what was in there, but the circumstance triggered it. You see what's in you when pressure comes. It didn't create what, that thing that came out, it was already in there, but the pressure revealed what's in there. So two wrong ways of approaching sin. Moralistically, you must do better. No, no, no. The problem's much deeper than that. It pervades my unconscious. It's just the way I see things. It's much more than just things I choose to. There are definitely wrong things I choose to do. And I, yeah, I've got to confess those. But also, I've got to confess that I, I have sinned. I don't see straight. Can you come alongside me and just help me? Please don't tell me off. Because <gasps> you've got the same illness. <laughs> We're all in this together, right? We're all desperately in this together. This is not a club for nice people. This is a club for those who need grace. Those who need the gospel, those who need the cross, those who need someone else to pay for their sin. Because even when they try and do it themselves, they end up getting proud. We are the grace needers. And God has come to us in Christ and given us grace. And so we come and we celebrate him because the only one without sin, bore our sins in his body when he didn't need to and didn't have to, but he chose to because he loves us and he bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we could die to sin and live for righteousness. So we could be renewed, restored, reconciled to our father. That's the good news. And that's what we live by. And he calls us into community to live that out, the reality of that out together. So the Bible says, New Testament, take off the old, put on the new. The old is what? The old is hiding and making fig leaves. Back to the Garden of Eden. They sin, God, they sin, they realise, look at us, look what we've done. They make coverings for themselves. Then when God comes, they run and hide in the bush. That's what sinners do. Create their own coverings so they feel better about themselves and then hide from God. That's the old, we put that off. In the new, just as we are, we dare to draw near to God. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus that covers us. We're not trying to fix ourselves, not trying to cover ourselves. We come under the righteousness of Christ. Say, I'm going to draw near to you, God, even though I'm so aware. I'm so aware that I need you as much today as I've always needed you. I'm so aware of corrupt desires within me. I'm so aware of where I could go wrong. But I'm going to keep drawing near and I'm going to keep my heart open to others. Because I don't want to fall. For, I don't want to be another statistic. I want to be another casualty. I want, to, I want to win the race. I want to win the prize. It's how we live. It's what we do. This isn't about telling off. It's not about naming and shaming. It's about learning how to trust Jesus together and take off the masks of self-righteousness. They come into church so easily. It's frightening how easily self-righteousness creeps into the church. It's horrible. It's ugly. Jesus triumphed over sin. Jesus triumphed over Satan at the cross. He triumphed over death. So we're not going to fear these things, but we're going to face up to the reality of them together. Because the, walking the victory of Jesus isn't just some like, I don't know, it's muck and bullets. You know, if you read the verse which everyone has, everyone has on their car or their fridge, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. Make sure you put the verses before <clears throat> on, the, on the thing as well. <coughs> We're like sheep considered to be slaughtered daily. We're facing nakedness, we're facing peril, we're facing distress. Just, let's just get this right, okay? Biblical victory happens in the context of the muck and bullets of life. It's not triumphalistic, it's unhelpful. It's unhelpful and it's discouraging to people who just want to learn how to win. You learn how to win by trusting Christ, keep walking, keeping your heart open to Him and others trustworthy people. In the midst of pressure, in the midst of challenge, in the midst of things that come, And in fact, God even works those things redemptively to make you more and more like his son. They're like fires that you go through and it refines the faith that he's put in you. So we're going for this together. I'm going to leave you one more verse, then we're going to gather back. So James 5 verse 16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. What verse. Bring it out into the light. Don't just sit there and look at it. Take it to Jesus. Pray. This is running, partners. This is running, partners. (coughs) I'm struggling here. I'm battling here. Temptation's fierce there. I think I may have even crossed the line there. I think I may have done that one again. And what do we do? How do we respond to each other when, when that happens? Well, it turns out I lied. There's one more scripture. Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Learning how to do that well. Learning how to maturely... But then it says, be careful, and says, but keep watching yourself, lest you too attempted." tempted. It's so real. So I'm going to come alongside you, hopefully, and, 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 and in a gentle way restore you if you've been caught up in some, some things, but I've got to watch myself the whole time because the, when you tell me the things you're involved in, something in me wants to do those things. Okay? That's the reality of it. When you tell me what you've done, something in me goes, ooh. Sorry. So I've got to keep an eye as well, so I'm just going to be vigilant here. So I want to help to restore you. I hope there's been a good tone of victory and joy and hope to this sermon. <laughs> but if it, if it feels sober as well, that's okay. That's okay. Um, much rather preach the occasional sobering sermon and us all still being doing well in 20, 30 years' time than, 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 than pitching it somewhere that doesn't reflect the reality of what's going on and then, and then we wonder why we get caught out. Amen? Amen. Can we stand? Maybe the bank can come back. We're going to respond. I'm going to lead us in prayer. We're going to take bread and wine. Always back to the cross. Amen? Amen. Always back to the cross. We delight. We rest in the victory of Jesus. We need Jesus as much as we ever have. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I just want to say thank you that we, can be, um, that we can be honest with you because of the gospel. Thank you. We can come as we are and you accept us as your own children. It's remarkable that you don't disown us, but that you accept us. And not just that, Lord, but that you proactively pursued us to adopt us. It wasn't just that we came and you're like, OK, I'm better. You proactively pursued us to adopt us as your own and brought us into your family. And now we can deal with the challenges of sin and Satan and other enemies in the context of safety of being part of your family. We thank you for that, Lord. And I pray, Lord God, that as we grapple with running partners and the reality of really learning to gently and tenderly help one another to grow and to even entrust things that are going on in our hearts and minds to one another, please protect us, please help us to do well with one another. Please help us to be gracious and sympathetic. Please, please remove anything that's harsh and not of you. Please help us to grow out of that, Lord God, that we can really represent the way you are with us when we bring our weaknesses before you. That increasingly, Lord, we would look like you in the way we deal with one another. In Jesus' name, amen.